This podcast may contain adult humor, foul language, and graphic nudity. Please be advised. In other words, you're probably going to have a good time. Welcome to the nest. I look real good today. 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 Jumping up the mother Bentley. TJ, it is so good to be back. New year, new mics. Look at us go. I know. We even got the camera going. If you're watching, oh, TJ, this is a great way to start the year. I think everybody's going to discover that we probably, as Justin said, had to have a face for radio, but uh, whatever. We'll give it a shot, see if it works. I think I should have shaved today or something. I'm feeling a little rough, looking a little rough. That's right. I'm just trying to look like you. Yeah, whatever. So, TJ, before we get going with this, uh, this episode, we got some sponsors? We do. Hang on. We're going to try something new here. Now a word from our sponsors. Did that sound official? Yeah. Maybe yeah. I need to come up with a new one. Who was that? I don't know. He's just on the internet. Some random guys. Yeah, saying just some weird sponsors. guy. All right. As usual, we are brought to you by Holton Meats. Um, you know where to get them by now. If uh, you, you know you listen long enough, but get the Smash Burgers, the Angus Beef Steak Burgers, the Angus Sirloin Steak Burgers, and the Certified Angus Beef Steak Burgers. Plus, go out and get the Bradshaw Ranch Burgers. Uh, stop by Deerberg, Schnooks, Walmart, Gordon Foods, and Aldi's. Um, you know we've been talking about them for darn near a year now, and if uh, you haven't tried them yet, shame on you. Yeah, shame on you. Nothing better. Nothing better than a Holton Burger. Holton Burger and some bourbon, honestly. You ain't lying. Speaking of bourbon. Oh, yeah. Me, you know by now that me and TJ are huge bourbon guys, and he texts me that you're a big bourbon guy, too. I, I am. Sometimes probably a little bit too big of a bourbon guy, but yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll have to see my collection sometime. I don't know if I want to admit it on air, but I've got 82 bottles Hell yeah. in my collection. I love it. So that's our drink of the week. We got we go. some some bullet going. Uh, we also have some holiday weeded bourbon as well, um, and we like to keep things a little mixed up too. So we got I got my neutral with me just to diet down. You guys got a beer and our nice new koozies that yep, TJ made. Yep, us. yep, yep. If you want a koozie, come be a guest. Very sharp, very sharp. They're nice, aren't they? Can't beat it. Keep your hands warm. I like it. Hands warm and beer cold. What ask? What else could you ask for? Nice. Yeah. Um, as usual, we ask you to go uh, stop by Aces on a Thursday night. Um, drawings at seven. I'm there, but I don't know what time it is. Yep. Drawings at, um, seven. Yep. For the queen of hearts supports the fire department. We're up to 4,200 bucks again, since we started over. It's always a great time. Good fundraiser. Swing by and, uh, say hi. Colin will buy you a drink and, uh, support the fire department. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where you think this money comes from, but yeah, I'll buy, I'll buy somebody a drink. If you come up and you say, Hey, I listen to the nest. I love it. I'll buy you a drink. There you go. Our other sponsor, TJ, Renew Mind and Body, also a phenomenal business. I know that you got Dana some Christmas present. You got a gift yep. card to there. Um, just an awesome place. Awesome ladies. Go check them out. Tell them that you're from the nest, and you get that 10% off on the foot detoxes, the sauna, um, the hydrotherapy lounger, the floats, all of it. If you just need a nice, relaxing day, it could be you for a spouse. doesn't matter. It's a great, great time. And just love everything about them. Yep. Wonderful ladies, wonderful business. They do a great job. 
Oh, absolutely. And they gave us T-shirts. They got us those custom-made T-shirts that are probably the softest T-shirts I have ever worn in my absolutely. life. Absolutely, They really are. Yeah. It feels it. like you're wearing a cloud on you. It's hmm. kind of weird, but okay. Well, you look like you stuffed a cloud underneath that shirt. So Son of a bitch. Keep talking, TJ. Hey, uh, before we get to some of our grab-ass con, I was wanting to know, we really haven't talked much since the football season's been over. How did you – I haven't didn't pay attention season's over. How did you end up doing on fantasy I want, football? I don't want to talk about it. Just – I haven't looked at the stands or anything. Who, how'd you do? I got last place. Well, who who got first? Again, I haven't looked. You son of a bitch, you got first. Oh, man, I guess I should pay attention to it. I, I didn't even realize that. Huh. You, okay, well, enough about that. No, no, no. Hold on Wait, a second. What do you mean? What? The worst part about this – is going into playoffs, I had um, my record was none of this really pretty, matters. Pretty Colin. good. No, hold on. I had a pretty good record. I lost one game to tie with three other guys, and I had the lowest amount of points, so I got dropped to the bottom. The toilet bowl is what we call it. Yes, the, the bottom four guys. I thought no problem. I can beat these guys. No problem. I've beat them all year. All I got to do is barely try, and I'm going to win. Well, then I get three players that could hurt, lost the first game. Son of a bitch, I'm, I'm in the last place game against Cooper. Right. Still have the better record, though. And so, did, hold on, did Cooper beat you? Yeah. Yep. Cooper, Cooper beat me for In his uh, first year place. of ever playing, and he had Cooper <laughs> Cup, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he uh, his entire— yeah. Talk about bad luck. Yeah. That kid could not catch a break. Could but not. But anyway, so the punishment is— uh, we are going to go to Top Shooters on a Friday night, and we're going to find out what the theme of the girls are. And Colin has to dress up like that. And we all go out to uh, Top Shooters. So we'll let you know when that is. Um, swing on by. Tell tell Colin that you know him from the nest as he's dressed up as a, a nice little jail girl or a nice little plumber with his plumber's crack hanging out or something like that. And uh, say hello to him. I'm sure he'll be happy to talk to you. He'll buy you a beer there, too. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, we we came up with a punishment of hey, the other guys have to dress the other guy up, and we'll go through like a bar crawl. How it ended up dressing up as the Top Shooters girls at Top Shooters, no idea. But. Well, it went to Top Shooters because Cooper can't go to a bar with us, and we honestly thought he was going to get last place, so yeah. we had to make it uh, fair for him. Yeah, and it ended up really funny for you. So you really you were thinking of Cooper, which is good. I mean, it's just another. It's a reason to go to Top Shooters. Look right. At that. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep, and I love top shooters, you know, so I guess it's not a complete loss. What would be the outfit or the theme that you would be most afraid of? Um, Honestly, I don't know, because there's some girls that will dress up or dress down, I guess you can say, a lot more than others. Um, it just depends on the theme. I don't... Well, you know we do get to pick out the outfit also. And that's that's the other issue. Right. Yeah, I, I so do you are going to have your belly showing... Yep. Your yep. cheeks that. are going to be showing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Pasties, maybe. You know, I mean, it's a good thing that I uh, have the job that I have, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, TJ, new year, new you, new me. You got any New Year's resolutions? Um, well, let me, I, I'm, I'm going to tell me yours first because I, I was thinking about them. And then I came across our old friend, Makita Jones. Oh, God. All right. And, uh, she has her New Year's resolutions out, and honestly, they're identical to mine. I, you couldn't have matched them any perfectly. So I, just what are yours? Is, okay. Be, before I do mine, will you hear Justin's? 
Yeah, Justin. What do you got? I mean, should we introduce him first, or are we wait until the official part of, I mean, after all of our grab ass? Just, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Justin Barlow. What a guy. What a guy. I mean, <laughs> thank you for, thank you for, uh, welcome to the nest. Oh, you guys are sons of bitches, for sure. <laughs> Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, what's your New Year's resolution, any? You know, I really, uh, no, I, I don't really have any. I mean, just kind of going through the new year, and I, yeah, don't have any. Okay. <laughs> Colin? Well, I got two, TJ. Um, first one is I want to be a nicer person. A lot of people, some would say I'm an asshole or I'm sarcastic. You know, I just want to, you know, change that a little bit, you know, really work on myself and try to be just a more thoughtful, caring person. And I think well, just you even thinking of that already turned a new leaf. Really? Well, yeah. I All mean, right, so I already achieved it. So I can go back to my old ways then, right? No, let's try to keep it longer than you did dry January. Yeah, uh, January 1st. Uh, we don't need to talk about it. Um, my second one is I'm going to continue to go to the gym and end up like this brick shit house over here <laughs> yeah. for our, our everybody watching on YouTube. Holy shit. I mean, yeah, he's his, his biceps are the size of my, my thighs. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's take a listen and see what uh, Makita and I uh, have uh, agreed to. I'm going to change my hoish ways. I'm going to stop being promiscuous. I'm going to stop telling my daughter's carnation and cremation that my one night stands is their new daddies. Um, I'm gonna stop spending my food stamps on these men. I'm gonna stop dating convicted felons. I'm gonna stop convicted <laughs> 2020s. And I'm gonna stop giving my tail up on the first night. I'm gonna stop licking ass and kissing men where they pee. <laughs> I'm going to stop planning weddings after meeting a guy after one day. Oh. I'm going to stop bragging on social media that I have a new man. I'm very desperate. I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for love, but I'm gonna wait for Jesus because Jesus is the man that's gonna bring me what I need. And I'm just gonna wait for his timing. And I'm going to stop just being this horrible person that I once was. So there you have it. I'm going to stop all the same things Makita Jones is. Well, I'm proud of you, DJ. Yeah, I really I am. It's, I'm look, it's going to be a good year. I, I'm really proud of you for the part of you're going to stop kissing men where they pee. I think that's a new leaf for you. That'll and probably think, be my, the hardest one. And I, I, I'm really proud of you for that. I, I, I think you should probably start small and maybe just... Hold off one at a time. See where you can, you know, do one, achieve it, check the box, go to the next yeah. one. That is a lot to There was about about 10 in there. Yeah. And Lord knows, I mean, she's already ruined half of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. The makeup, too. I mean, once we put that up on our Facebook and YouTube, I mean, that is stellar. Yeah, she looked, She kind of looked like uh, Terry Tate, office linebacker. Have you seen that with the uh, <laughs> yeah. eye markings under there? The yeah. Black. We've had Makita on quite a few times. She's one of our favorites. <laughs> yep. We, you know what, TJ? We've got to find a way to get her on. We have to. You, on the phone. I, I bet on you we phone. could. Yeah. I bet you we could. We'll, we'll work on that. Yeah. We'll, we'll tune, in next, tune in next week. We'll folks. figure it out. As as far as she goes with, you know, not giving up on the first date. And the, the biggest one she's going to have issues with is airing her dirty laundry and her, showing off her men on social media. Yeah. Because that's half her TikToks. Oh, and the other half is, oh, I'm going to stop doing this, and the next TikTok is right back into it. Well, and then discussing her yeast infections is a, is a big one. That's uh, yeah, that's weekly also. Yeah, but she's baking a bread down there. Okay. Um, Colin, have you ever seen, or Justin, either one, have you ever seen the show Dexter? Yes. Yeah, I've, I've seen a couple episodes. I can't say I've you know watched it regularly. 
Yeah. Um, well, the actor who plays Dexter, and this I guess this really won't be that exciting for you guys since you don't really watch it. He's in a band. Okay. Um, what kind of music do you think he would be playing? Um, I mean, judging it's an older—I don't want to say older TV show, but early two thousands TV show. I can see him almost like a punk rock, maybe. I was gonna say, yeah, the the garage band kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I was looking for—the garage band grunge. Yeah. Well, that that's what I probably would have thought also. But here's a little bit of uh, uh of his his music. Great writing, by the way. Strong, strong start. See if you can try to explain the video to me. The word, the the writing of this song is unbelievable. He looks like he's in Wham. Shut up. <laughs> There's puppets in the background. <laughs> is that his actual voice? Yes. <laughs> That's actually him singing. Right yes. Now. This isn't a joke. Here comes the, the other words. This is the entire song. The entire song. There, there, there are no other words. Just the puppets talking to each other. It's the whole thing. Oh my god. It works. But look at him. He's actually using the puppets with his hand. Yeah. Okay, that's enough of him. Oh my god. I mean, I'm gonna be honest, if you take away the weirdness of it, it's got a good beat to it. Like that's something Yeah, I but that's get not Dexter. To. And the puppets. No, it's not Dexter. I don't know. It looks like George Michaels, honestly. Mm. Like if George Michaels was in a around today. Rest stop bathroom. Oh my god. <laughs> you have a little experience with those, TJ? No. What what's in those rest stop bathrooms, TJ? Why why'd you bring that up? I don't know anything about them. That's on one of my later commercials, Colin. Is that one of the things that yeah. you're trying to okay. give up on your... Uh... Yes. That's where I kiss the men where they the, pee. Keep the list very short. Yeah. Why is it attainable one goals? At one at yeah. a time. All right. Well, let's, let's get into it. The man of the hour, the man of the night, Mr. Bourbon himself, <laughs> Justin Barlow. Sir, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I, I'm good. I really appreciate you guys having me on and... Uh, Thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for the bourbon. Always good to have a, a little Kentucky hug to start the start the evening. I like it. Oh, absolutely. So pretty much the entire basis of our show is we try to have on people that uh, are very well represent our area. Um, so when are they getting here? Right. Um, <laughs> but. Just, I mean, that's pretty much all we've had are the people that do great things for our community. Um, you know, just like I said, represent the the town and the area well. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, you're darn near top of the list. Ah, no. Um, whenever you guys first, whenever TJ asked me about this, uh, I think we we kind of talked about it after you guys first started, and then we were texting, and then we talked to each other on the phone, and then you're like, you got to listen to Dustin Rao, the episode with him, and so I started listening to it. And I'm like, holy shit, this is this is what I have to follow. You know, I got to follow Dustin and the songs for soldiers and everything that he's been doing, and then. Uh, you know, the, the second episode that he did, he had a you know a, a Stone Cold Steve Austin entrance, and I, I thought this is <laughs> going to be this tonight. is this yeah. is going to be tough to top right here. You know, Cold Jura coming in and smashing. What was it? Was it Budweisers? Uh, two, yeah, two Budweisers. Yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah, like it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, you guys got a great thing going here. This is this is pretty cool. Well, good. Thanks. 
Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I know you grew up here in Columbia. Yep, grew up here um, in Columbia. Um, I, so yeah, so I was. Uh, I grew up here in Columbia. My, I grew up kind of in the Monroe County area. Started in Waterloo, and then from there we bounced to Columbia. Moved there in eighth, my eighth grade year. Went to high school there. Graduated high school, and then uh, became a went to went to college. Went to Swick for the best five years of my life at Swick. It was back then. It was BAC. It was awesome, and then uh, got hired on with the Columbia Police Department. Worked there for ten years, and here I am. Now. Did you? At what age did you decide that you wanted to be a police officer? So I was I was pretty lucky. I think uh, when I was in high school, I my grandpa was a police officer. He was actually a chief of police in Dupo back in the seventies. So just kind of growing up with him and uh, a great great role model, great man. He was in the Korean War. He's one of those stories that he actually uh, lied about his age to get in World War Two, and they found out and they did an honorable discharge and he got kicked back and then he fought in the Korean War. Um, so that was, that was that was pretty cool. So he became a, the chief of police after the war and everything like that. He he wasn't there that long in Dupo, but uh, yeah. So just kind of following those footsteps and just kind of listening to some of some of the stories that that he had, and then uh, went from there. I was so in high school, I kind of knew had an idea what I wanted to do. I didn't know to what capacity, um, but I, I knew I wanted to get into law enforcement and do something where I'm always moving, always doing something, and. You know, not sitting behind a desk, which that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's it's never boring, which is which is great. Yeah, and you hadn't mentioned yet, but what do you do now? Uh, I am a deputy U.S. marshal. Okay. Yep. So I, I I got hired on with the Columbia Police Department in November of 2020, and then I got hired on with the U.S. Marshals in uh, November of 2010. So t- I mean, 2000. 2000. I'm sorry. 2000. 2000 yeah. yeah. Sorry. Numbers and math are hard. For me, yeah. So 2000, and then I uh, got hired with the marshals in 2010. So now, you when you left Columbia, you went to Iowa for a little bit. I did, and is actually that with this, the marshal service. Yes, and so this, that was all at the same time. This weather is uh, pretty pretty close to Iowa. I'm not gonna lie; it's yeah. uh, nasty, cold, and pretty shitty. So how long were you there? Uh, we Three were there. Years? Yeah, we no, we were there for about six and a half, almost. Oh, seven really? Years. Yeah, yeah. So the Marshall Academy, it's. Um, it's crazy as far as the process to get in there. I mean, I, I really feel. I mean, we when I was in the academy at the end of the, at the our last day, we we run what they call like the Marshall Mile, and then that's basically it's ten miles around the campus. Uh, we call it a campus, but it's it's Flutzy, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Brunswick, Georgia, and we're we're running that, and then all of our family come in, and there's a couple instructors basically going over what they can expect as far as the life married to a deputy U.S. marshal, and they go over like retirement they go over pay and they go over okay well if you're going to a location that you don't like you only have to be there for two and a half years and then you can you know they, they just kind of explain the process which is is great because we want to get out of that place because we've been stuck there you know it floods you for about 21 weeks or more um, depending on what time of the year you go we're ready to get out of there and just uh skip all that boring stuff and, and get to work. But, you know, they one of the instructors explained it to their families like hey you guys basically won the lottery and I remember going back um you know, I, I, the job that I applied for, I think there were over 4,000 people that applied for that same position. And it was crazy the way it happened because it was the the government, the way they, they changed the ways that things, application processes and things like that. I mean, it was, uh, you put your application in, you go to an information, informational session, do all that. 
and then they actually had a phone bank. And if you were lucky enough to call in and get your phone answered or your phone call answered, then they would say, okay, well, here's a couple dates and locations that you can go to for your interview. So I had to choose from either Chicago or Columbus, Ohio, went to Columbus, Ohio, and then it's all, all history from there. So cool. you were in Columbia when you found out, right, that you were yes. got accepted. Because I remember that actually the first time I ever met you, do you remember? You probably don't remember this. I remember because it was a big deal to me. But I, we, we had heard that you got accepted, and you were at uh, Powerhouse uh-huh. sitting in the stands watching probably Jack. Yeah, yeah. And I just came up to you and shook your hand and said, congratulations. This is like the very first thing. And I remember you, you your your face is like, you know, it was you were shocked. <laughs> That's the first interaction I ever had with you. Well, just so you know, I, I knew who you were because everybody knows who TJ is. Everybody knows. Everybody, <laughs> everybody knows who TJ is. So, no, it, yeah, and, and thank you for that. I mean, it was it was cool. I mean, it was, uh, it's definitely something. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer in your, you're more than who, what your career is. I mean, it's, that your career doesn't, you know, make who you are, but it's doing stuff like this, having good fam- ha- having good family, having good people that you're, you surround yourself with. But it is kind of cool that hopefully, you know, my, my kids and my grandkids in the future or whatever, they can look back and be proud, proud of what I'm doing or proud of what sure. I did. So how was it being a police officer in, you know, a town that you went to high school and stuff with? I mean, was that it, odd to have not so happy interactions with some people that you maybe grew up with or knew, you know? Yeah, there were some times where we were a little, uh, you know, there were definitely some times that it got a little heated. Um, you know, especially when the older we get, obviously, we we do things and we, we I don't know, we... Being, being in Columbia, everybody knows everybody. It's it, it, it's a small but great, great community. Um, but there were definitely some situations. I, I would say there's more more good situations than there were oh shit situations. Or man, I I don't want to. I'm sorry that I had to come in contact with this guy and blah blah blah. I mean, it was it was they were, they were all very positive. I mean, hopefully any interactions that I had with anybody. <laughs> I'm sure there's some that I don't remember, but hopefully they were professional and they were just something where we got through the conflicts and we don't. I mean, at the end of the day, you do have to do your job. Right. I mean, it, you know. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, there, there are definitely more, I think, more situations where I was able to help people rather than, oh, get, you got to get a ticket or you got to get this and, yeah. and things like that. But yeah. 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 That, that's definitely a hard part of it. And, you know, <clears throat> I, I'm not even close to what you did you know police officers have it 10 times harder um but working on the ambulance in town yeah i mean you you deal with people's families that you know um and then you have to go out and see these people and that can be a little awkward sometimes you know and i'm sure it's the same for you hey i gave this person a ticket or i arrested them or whatever it is you kind of know i don't say you know people's secrets but you know people's secrets, and it can be a little hard sometimes. Sure. Definitely one from being in the town and then also continuing to live in that town that you work in. Well, and I think that was a th- that was one of the harder things, too, because back when I was a police officer in Columbia, we were required to live in the city. I think now they have a— It's they, a 25-mile yeah, race, I believe. That's that's great. And that, yeah. it, but where the city was, it's, you know, kind of implementing that policy— totally understand it. They wanted you to be invested in the, in the city and, and in the community. They wanted, they wanted people to see, you know, officers, uh, officers dining, you know, going out and having, having a couple, uh, drinks, with their family eating in the restaurants, buying in the, buying things in the stores and things like that in town. But it's also one of those things too, where just like you guys know, I mean, if you come home from work and you can't put the phone down, it's almost like you can't escape it, you know, because either yeah. you're running into those people that you had those, you know, maybe you got a call where, 
again, we all have bad days. We all make bad decisions. doesn't mean we're bad people by any means. But, you know, maybe you get in a fight with your wife or, you know, your husband or whatever, and they, you know, some yelling and screaming goes on. Neighbor gets scared, calls the police, and all of a sudden the police are there, and it's deemed as a domestic situation, which it might not be. But yeah, you have to face everybody back back out in the public. And just like you said, Colin, I mean, you got those, those – you're – you're interacting with people when they're not at their finest and they know that. And it's just one of those things. It's one of those common things that you share with that person or that family and you can't really get over it. But I mean, it it definitely made it a little bit tougher having to live here in the city. Yeah. But I will say Columbia's always been a a great community. Um, You know, and that, that made it a little bit easier. You know I mean? It's not like we were in, in an area that was crime ridden or in an area that, you know, was dilapidated or anything like that, where they, you you didn't want your kids to go to school there or you didn't want to live in that community. It's just getting away from doing the everyday things. Yeah, for sure. Now, one of the most famous things that you had to deal with while being in, in Columbia was the, the Chris Coleman case. Um, I mean, we don't have to go into major details, but, um, Let's you give know, you some more bourbon here first. Let's do a little bit of that bourbon. Yeah, before, before we get, get started, started on this. You're all good. Um, but, you know, and there's plenty of documentaries and, and shows and, and articles that you can read, but I do want to ask a few questions about it. Um, so you were not necessarily friends with him, but you were friendly with him, I guess, being neighbors, right? Well, no. Uh, okay. We, Chris Coleman and I, Chris Coleman and I never interacted whatsoever the only interaction that I had with him is when it was I don't even know the timeline I would say several weeks several months maybe I that even might be wrong it's been so long ago but um I again be having to live in the community that we worked in as a police officer we had take-home cars which means you know you get a police car from the city you get to take it home park it in front of your house which created that omnipresence of you know trying to deter crime Bad guys see a you know patrol car or something parked in the neighborhood. They're like, "Well, oh shit, wait a minute, I might think twice about that." So, I would go home either for lunch or after my shift. And there was a, a time or two where Chris is out washing his truck. He had, a, I believe, a Ford Ranger pickup, a smaller pickup. I'd wave at him, and he'd just kind of look at me. And that was it. And I, I know that happened actually once or twice. Uh, but that, that's really. The only other yeah. interaction I had with him is whenever he started reporting those letters that were coming in. Okay, so that's what I was kind of getting at. Is yeah. he, did he come to you, or did he go to the police, or, or so he first reported it from the police department, and uh, and I believe the first interaction that he reported was something that actually occurred in St. Louis County with Joyce Meyer Ministry, and so that was kind of us saying, "Look, we'll give you extra patrol," which basically means if you, um, you know, if you are requesting whatever police department or community you live in that police department to kind of patrol your neighborhood, your house, you're going to be on vacation or whatever. You're just, you're scared about something. Hey, would you, we'd like a car to drive around a couple, a couple more times than they normally would. And that's, that's what we offered them. And, you know, I told them, Hey, you know, call us if you need something. And even in that interaction, I was a detective at the time. And I mean, again, Columbia PD, I get it at the time. wasn't very big. I mean, um, you know, it was myself and, and now deputy chief, our assistant chief Carla Heine, we were the two detectives at the time. So we had two investigators, and I don't, it was handled by one of the, the guys on patrol and just kind of went from there. So I didn't really interact with him that first time he came to PD. Now, did anybody, hindsight's 2020, I mean, there's no way that, you know, you can look back and, and think that anything, but did, did anybody say that's kind of odd? Or did they really think, you know, at first that he was getting the letters and, I mean, hey, we do need to watch out? Um, we, you know, 
again, without really having that first letter or email, whichever one it was to look at, I don't remember exactly, you know, like the aggressiveness or exactly what it said, but it, all the letters basically were aimed at his family because of what he did as a living, basically protecting Joyce Meyer, you know, ministries and things like that. He was, he was the head security guard for Joyce Meyer at the time. So everything to my knowledge, it was, it was all based, you know, on his, on, on her, on his family, no threats exactly towards him as far as violence was going to come to him. He was going to get harmed or anything like that. Um, but did, I mean, do you remember anybody ever go, man, this is kind of weird. Not, not the first time. I mean, the yeah. second time, you know, the second time I remember, uh, whenever I actually went over and introduced myself to him is when Sean Westfall, who's now retired, great guy, great, great officer. I mean, that guy did a lot for the community. If you didn't, if you don't know Sean, I mean, I think they still live in the community. If you see him, they actually don't, they live in Georgia now. Really? Mm-hmm. Good for him. Good for him. Um, anyway, they, uh. You know, he was coming doing door-to-door knock-and-talks, basically what we call a canvas, a neighborhood canvas, just saying, hey, have you seen anything weird? This is what we're looking at. And he showed me the he showed me the uh, letter, and then I went over and introduced myself to Chris, and I said, hey, this is my name, this is my number. I know we don't know each other, but this is where, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, this is something where I live here. If you need anything, call me, because I can get here before anybody, on, you know, anybody from the PD, unless they're right here, you know, randomly. So just, just call me if you need something. So from then, it was just any time there was another letter or anything left or something he, he would call and there, there weren't many instances there was actually one time where now chief don john was over at, at our place because uh, he and his family and my family are, are, are friends and close and he was just hanging we were just hanging out in our backyard with our, our families and we saw a car that just kind of randomly stopped and then he and i did like let's go so we jumped in i think i jumped in my police car and he i, I can't remember he jumped in a car or something and uh we tracked a car down, and it was actually someone, a census taker. <laughs> so, I mean, it, we were always on watch and always doing something, sure. you know. And, well, and then enough. after that, uh, kind of going back, after that first letter, or after the letter started picking up and it became like, it looked like it was beginning to become more aggressive and more more uh, serious, I guess you would say. Like, they were, he was, I don't, he, he never really got concerned, in my opinion. Like, he never really was like, oh, this is a big, big deal. You know, to me, <clears throat> that bourbon's kind of talking back at me. Sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, he, you know, he went went to him and said, "Hey, just let you know, this is what this is what's going on." And uh, just stopped his car. No big deal. It was somebody as a census taker. Just you know, just so you know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I interactions with him never really picked up until the investigation started, and I went over and kind of said who I was and offered offered. I, I gave him my cell phone number, and obviously, we know <laughs> anybody that knows the story knows how that went. So. Yeah, and how how close did you live to him? Uh, I believe 133 feet driveway. Who's oh, counting? Yeah, yeah. So really close. Yeah, I, you know what? It might have been 233, but it was yeah. It was either way. I mean, that's a couple hundred feet. Super yeah. close. A couple hundred feet. Yep. yep. So, when did you start getting involved with the letters in the case? As as far as I want to say, it was like the second or third letter maybe the third letter that was so the the reports came in from him coming to the police department and saying this is what's happening to him calling the police department and saying something was left in my mailbox and the letters that we got they were you know they they were the cutout i believe they were the cutout if i again this has been almost 20 years ago but i yeah. believe they were the cutout like kind the of magazine letters, letters kind of a I, thing i really like the old ransom letters that you saw in the movies kind of a thing 
I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that's you know a case like this. You know, I, I know this. Some believe me, a lot of the details stick with me. It's things that I'll never forget. But I yeah. mean, that's been fourteen yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. So things like that. Um, that's when I started getting involved when they started being delivered. Because I mean, again, as is. As a husband, as a father, this is in my backyard, right? I mean, it's one of those things, too, where, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about what's going to happen to that family and this person bringing this stuff, you know, to our attention. But also, I want to I be able to protect my own home and my own, my own family sure. if something happens. So, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is, is that it, we as, you know, Americans, I'm going to get America on you, but we should, everybody should feel comfortable in their home and safe in their home. And that's the one thing where nobody should ever feel like they're in jeopardy. Nobody should ever feel in danger to live in their own home. And that's what that brought to especially the Columbia Lakes community, but also the whole, the whole community, Columbia, Monroe County, Waterloo, because stuff like that, it just never happened, you know, right. and it's still, still to this day, I think it, it hasn't, right. <laughs> you know, as far as an incident like that in this area, but yeah. So let's go forward to that day, May 5th, 2009, and I'm going to let you just run with it, whatever you're comfortable with talking sure. and whatever you want to leave out, leave out. Sure. No problem. So we, it was about, I think it was either, I think it was like 6.57 a.m. He called, Chris calls me and. Calls you personally? Calls me personally on my cell phone. He says, hey, Sherry's not answering the phone. I left to go to the gym. He worked at a gym. He worked out at a couple gyms. One was in South County. The other one, I think it's still there in Waterloo. Was it pound for pound? Yeah. Yeah. He worked at that one too. Worked out at that one as well. Um, he calls me and he says. Not answering the phone. I'm kind of worried. I'm kind of concerned. You mind running over there and checking on him? Nope. Or sending somebody over to check on him. You know, he didn't ask for me specifically, but that's what it was. I don't believe he did anyway. And, and there's one thing I gotta, I want to put out there. The, there have been, even to this day, there are several media outlets, several true crime podcasters and things like that that, that call not only myself, um, everybody involved in the community at that time, even, even Jeff Connor, who's a sheriff at Madison County right now, they, they want stories in this. And I, I've, I know that I've done a few, but I, there's a lot, I, I haven't done any in years just because. Do they still call? Yeah, they still Do call. Do they really? Yeah, they still call. I mean, they still email, they still call, they, they call the, the marshal service looking for me. And, and I, I know I'm not the only one because sure. with this whole case, I mean, this was not, my, my role in this case was, I was the young naive, ambitious cop from a small town that lived across the street from him. I mean, when you, when, you know, as we get into this, you'll see the people that really brought this case to a head and really saw it through are Jeff Connor, you know, all the members of the major case squad of the greater St. Louis area, which is a great, great organization. Um, also, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the, some guys that aren't with us anymore as far as with the, P, the PD, not that they died, but they're just yeah, not here. You yeah. know, Joe Edwards, uh, John Simon, I know recently retired. I, I mentioned Sean Westfall, uh, Mike Muscles Conrad. He did a great job in, in everything. Josh Bear. I mean, just just you know Zach Hopkins. I mean, all these guys. All these guys did a did a did a great great job. I mean, it was it was such a team effort, and it was you know Carla Heine, Jason Donjon, all all those guys, and, and it was it was very community driven, and so that that's the one thing that I that I just wanted to throw out there that none of this stuff was a one man one man job at all. <coughs> Sorry. I think that cat hair from that last cat fan only page that you guys had on is getting my throat. <coughs> so, okay. So anything that I say, I just want to throw out there that, you know, it, it's been 14, 15 years. And if I'm off by a little bit, again, I haven't looked at a report. I haven't looked at anything in, in yeah. years, but it's, it's going from memory. So my, my fear about doing 
this with like big media and going on stuff is that well this first of all this is not no, big media. No, 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 no. Yeah. You've got seven people listening. Hey, listen, so don't worry about listen. it. This is this is awesome what you guys are doing. This is very community driven and this is yeah. this is cool. And I gotta tell you, I mean, this is pretty intimidating coming here with these microphones. I mean, this is legit shit right yeah. now. I mean, this is uh this is pretty much like Howard Stern, how he started. Exactly. Right? It's exactly how it is. Just, That's hey. what TJ actually called himself last week. Yeah. Just make sure you remember me. Don't forget the little yeah. guys. <laughs> okay. That's kind of an oxymoron because you're pretty short. <laughs> It's funny because you're short. Oh, you're so short. <laughs> anyway. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, I, I feel like that every time, <clears throat> anytime this is brought up in the media, you know, so I'm going to bounce around this a little bit, so bear with me. This was the last death penalty case in the state of Illinois because whenever we, before this case actually got to on the books, the state of Illinois put the death penalty what they call moratorium, which is like it's it's suspended basically. So he still went and qualified as a death penalty case, but he was sentenced to he, his sentence was not the death penalty just because they were going to suspend it anyway or get rid of it. Um, maybe Bush will get rid of this. I don't know. This tickle in my throat. <sighs> Sorry. So. Another thing too is uh, I like to deflect with a little bit of comedy and humor whenever That's I get okay. a little. Yeah. Okay. No, this doesn't. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> this is so your pace. Every time it was almost like every time this gets brought up or rehashed on a big media circuit, there's there's some something gets re brought up or he gets a little you know the the case gain <clears throat> gains some steam where they want to well we this this never happened or this happened to where we should get a retrial or we should do this and it's. You know, I mean, spoiler alert for anybody's listening, he's still guilty. He's, it is what it is. And, and it's, uh, it's a shame for both sides. I mean, it's a shame for his family because, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of loss there that they've gone through and I feel for them. I pray for them, you know, and, and, and uh, there's, there's one thing that I'm big on bourbon, Jesus, <laughs> guns, and, uh, I, I faith America. in America. Absolutely. So right. if I bring that up a little bit, bear with me too, but I, I, everybody's gone through some loss with this. It's not just. You know, it's not just the it's Sherry's family and the friends, but I mean, you know, his his family too. I mean, they've they've lost a son, they really have, or and brother, and then uncles and and all that stuff. So, but all right. So, when I got the phone call in the morning, he said at six fifty seven ish or six fifty one, he called and he said, "Hey, Sherry's not answering the phone." And they got kids got to get up for school. It's very unlike her. I left. You know, everything was fine when I left. She was asleep. Kids were good. <clears throat> so, I went and I. Knocked on the door. I, well, first I get my stuff together and I get on the radio. Call into dispatch. Jason Don John's the first one to get there. Before I walk across the street, start knocking on the front door. I'm looking in the front doors and I, I can't see anything that you know stuck out. So Jason gets there as um Chief Don John, excuse me. Starts getting. He gets there when I'm already there. And he walks around the back, and then he says, "Hey, I've got an open window." Okay. So then I go with Jason, get to the back downstairs because they had a walkout basement that walked that kind of walked out to the lake we go through the window you know look around before we enter the window we don't see anything on the floor we don't see any because you know when we go in the we wanted to make sure we're not going to step on anything break anything or you know we, and also we want to make sure there's nobody around the corner you know because the the screen was actually pulled out folded looked like you know somebody tried to break in and it was on the on the on the floor on the outside of the house so we go in and we, I'm trying to remember when Steve Patton got there. We go in, 
clear the basement, start walking up the steps to the from the basement to the kitchen. And the one thing that I'll never forget is that I just this overwhelming smell of of spray paint. I mean, you know when you you spray paint something and it's been it's pretty fresh. <clears throat> that that just hit me. It like, geez, we got to the front door because it was me and then Jason. And then I walked up to the basement, you know, the door to the kitchen, because you walk up and the first room you come in from the basement is the kitchen. And it was just overwhelming where it almost knocked me over. Opened the door and it looked like <clears throat> like a helter-skelter everywhere. I mean, there's pictures online, I'm sure you can see, but it, you know, saw you, I think one of the things, I know one of the things was you paid, you know, spray paint all over the place in, in the kitchen. Um, and I'm trying to remember, I Steve... Steve Patton might have been there with us before we went in the basement. I'm he might. I'm pretty sure he was. Uh, Officer Patton, who I, you know, he just recently retired, and good mm-hmm. for him. Congratulations to him. Great guy, great cop, good officer, um, good buddy. He, you know, he did a lot of good things for the community too. But so as we're walking up, we clear clear the kitchen, look around. There's spray paint everywhere. Nothing that we see in the living room. Nothing that we see in the kitchen. <clears throat> and then, but yeah. right right then and there. I mean, are you, is this an oh shit moment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know. Yeah. You, okay. No, this, I mean, is, I, this is not good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is not good at all. I mean, the one thing in my mind is I'm thinking, and this, again, just to show you, you know, at, at that time, and I'm going to go back to the Major K Squad. At that time, I had been part of the Major K Squad and probably been, and I, I say fortunate enough to be a part of around 20 homicides at that time, investigations. And I know that sounds really shitty because in a homicide, actually, you know, somebody's going to, somebody's a victim, you know, and it's one of those things. But as a policeman from a small community, a community that you're invested in, you go to these bigger communities and work these homicide investigations, that makes you a better cop, which in turns is is an investment for your community. It makes you sure. better just all around because it makes the people you work with better because you share that information and you share that training and you share that rapport and that networking, you know, and it's, it's good stuff. I mean, like you guys, when you go to fire... Uh, uh, firefighter training. If you you network and you figure out, well, this guy's got this kind of training or this kind of equipment, we should get that, and it just better's right. everybody. Yeah. <clears throat> so when um, when we got to, you know, you're asking if it was a, if it was a big deal. Still, I'm I'm a young guy, very young guy. I'm like maybe early. I'm 31 maybe, and I'm sitting there. Look, thinking like, oh shit, oh shit, this is, you know, I'm looking, we, we all are, we're looking to make sure there was, you know, we're wa- not walking in on a bad guy that's still in the house and trying to preserve evidence so we don't screw anything up because we, in our heads, we know how big of a deal this is. So as we're walking up the steps, before we go up the steps into the bedroom, you know, you walk up to the staircase and the, the second story, is a second story house, <clears throat> there's a small landing at the top of the steps, you have a bathroom. Uh, bedroom, bedroom, and then you make a left of the bathroom, and there's their master bedroom. And so we went, as we're getting ready to make entry up the steps or walk up the steps, we hear the garage door open. Well, Chris came home. And so we he comes in the door of the garage in the kitchen, and he's seeing everything that we see. I mean, then they, this is hindsight 2020. Like, he sees everything that we see. And then in my mind, I'm thinking – what the hell am I going to tell us? Like, what are we going to tell this guy? How are we going to, cause you know, I mean, sure. Let me, let me ask you too. If you walk in and you're going through all this stuff, you, you get these letters and you have all these threats coming in and they're based off they're they're towards your family and whatnot. As a, a grown man, as an, as a father, as a, a husband, I mean, what, what are you going to do? Yeah. No, no I mean, I'm it. asking like, what would you do? <laughs> oh, I, I would, I mean, at that point, I, yeah, I how don't... long the letters are going on at this point. Um, 
But if I'm getting these threatening letters for, let's say, weeks, months, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden I come home after not getting anything from my wife and then seeing the spray paint all over, I mean, I, I would probably lose my shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's oh, no, doubt, running there's through no the house. doubt about it. <clears throat> yeah. And I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I would probably be a dead sprint to, you know, the right. bedrooms. Right. You know, and that was one of the things is that it's, uh, and, and I want to, again, I, the timeline on this, I don't, I, I'm almost positive, And I, again, I'd have to refer to a police report to make sure I'm right on the, on the timeline on this, but he came in as before we go up there, we told him to, you know, hey, just go wait outside. Now that's not right either because I at one point we go upstairs and we find Garrett, Gavin, and Sherry, and they're they're both they're all three strangled. They're all, with you know, I know you guys know this being in the first responder field, but you know, rigor mortis is set in. Sherry is, she's uh, no clothes, she's unclothed, and she's laying face down on her on on the bed, and just uh, everything is pulled, you know, on the front side of her body. The boys are the same way, you know. I mean, and they're in their bed sleeping. The youngest had just a bunch of contusions. Like he, he put up a fight. Like he was a fighter. And really? He, yeah. And the other, and you know, the older one just, just, uh, it just looked peaceful. He just like he was sleeping. But I do remember, you know, going back to the, this is not one guy thing. This is a, this was a team effort. Steve, uh, you know, as Coleman comes in the house, Steve, Col- C. Patton, C. Patton says, "Hey." uh, this might be our guy. And I'm like, oh, is shit. that right? Oh yeah. I mean, that was, that was Steve all day, you know? And he, then again, that that's everybody chipping in. Sure. That's everybody. Sure. Cause he, he was a policeman in Kokia, you know, before, <clears throat> before it was Kokia Heights, but he was a policeman in Kokia, you know, before uh, he came to Columbia. And I'm like, oh shit. It was kind of like a mental reset. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Cause I mean, again, where I was, I'm trying to bring all this stuff together and I'm trying to think of what's going on and basically not trying to fuck anything up with the evidence in the yeah. crime scene. And, uh, and, and thinking ahead of that stuff, you know, after we, after we had secured it and made sure that, there, you know, we were comfortable that nobody was in there that was going to harm us or basically the bad guy wasn't there. Excuse me. Man, that bourbon is, uh, whew, that's good stuff. It's come back up. <laughs> yeah, she is. Sorry, everybody. But so <clears throat> we, uh, he comes inside the house and it's one of those where the garage is attached to the kitchen, which goes into the dining room, which goes up to the, you know, you're upstairs. And he sees everything, but he sees everything in the kitchen that we do. He smells everything that we do. You know, I'm assuming you couldn't, I mean, that was before COVID. So I'm sure he had a sense of smell. Right. He was good to go. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he would have smelled the paint. He would have smelled all that stuff. And he's just like, what's going on? What's going on? That's it. And I, I literally took him by the, the arm and just guided him out and said, Hey man, I'm sorry, but they didn't make it. That's all I said. And, uh, <clears throat> and he just went out on the driveway and I mean, literally, I wish I could tell. I, I wish there was a way to show everybody, you know, listening how little of effort it took me just to take him by the arm. And th- he was a big dude. Like right. he, he I was, would have been shoving you. Like that's yeah. what, kind of what you were getting right, at. I right. mean, I would have been doing everything I could to get up there. So the one thing to remember too is like everything. You know, as we get in the interviews and stuff, everything we do. Eighty. I've I, I read something out there once where I think it's like seventy five percent or more communication that we do is, is people or humans, you know, it's, it's, it's our, our communication is more body language than it is verbal communication, you know? And I, I tell as my boys get bigger and they, you know, look like they can whip my ass in any minute. That's what I tell them all the time. I'm like, Hey man, just chill out. I'm like, well, I'm not mad. Yes, you are. You know I mean? <laughs> it, it's, it's the, it's the thing. And you don't need to be some super, 
super cop or special forces guy to, to figure this out. It's it's natural things, right? And and that's that's why, you know, I brought that up. It's one thing that I, my answer to my own question that I asked you guys, I, I nobody would have stopped me, right? Yeah. And and he was just oh, very passive, very. And again, he was a big guy. He was into fitness. He was into his image. He was into the way he looked and and things like that. So, so he went out in the garage, sat in the driveway, and there was an officer that came, or maybe Steve sat with him again. I can't remember the, the particulars on that, but he uh, he you know sat in a ball and he cried, and he we called an ambulance and we're, I'm, we're all making phone calls to at the time Joe Edwards, everybody to get there and. So there was a guy, and I'm, I apologize if he if he ever hears this, but I, I I can't remember his name. Great, great guy, across the lake from Columbia Lakes where this this happened. <clears throat> there was a camera guy from Channel Two, I believe, or one of the local news stations. He was there like that, you know, and he was posted up, and he was just kind of. And that's the one thing that I'll say about the community, and just you know, everybody, because the community is so so supportive and such a great community in Columbia. Uh, you know, he he was very respectful for what was going on because we were like, Hey man, I need you to get back. Like I, right. I, I need, and you know, he, he just was like, absolutely. Just tell me where you want me to go. Tell me what you want, what, what I can and can't do. And I'll, I'll make it happen. So that was, that was cool. But anyway, we, so chief Edwards at the time got there, called an ambulance and you know, we, we called the ambulance cause we just wanted him to get out of sight. We wanted him to not be questioned by a bunch of people. And you know, if anything was said, we wanted to make sure it was basically, you just we heard it you right know? and, and, and yeah. yeah we didn't question him at the time it was just more of a just get him secure we had a we had a, a police chaplain at the time come and, and hang with him in the in the in the ambulance and he had some abrasions on and, and some marks on one of his forearms that was pretty conducive to you know maybe a defensive mark from one of the victims you know one of the either Garrett Gavin or, or Sherry <clears throat> and uh at the time assistant chief Jerry Paul had asked him about that in the in the uh, ambulance, and he deflected real quick. And I was not there; I didn't see this. But I mean, it was it was you know documented by Captain Paul's report. And but he just starts banging his arm, the same arm on a gurney. And then when he was asked about it again. He's like, "Oh, it must be from the gurney, you know? It must right. be from that." So it's just stuff like that. I, things like that that happen. It just you, you it makes the hair on the back of your neck you know stand up. Like, gosh dang man, I just uh, I don't know. It takes a special kind of person, you know to do something like that yeah yeah so steve Patton, he makes the comment of this is our guy and then he and and again he yeah he said something to the fact that this might be our guy right yeah so basically he was like this Colin, like you say to tj hey man don't say anything fucking stupid right now and screw this up that's what he was saying to me yeah absolutely um so whenever you're escorting him out i don't i don't want to backtrack too much but whenever you're escorting him out he's not really putting up a fight do you, in your mind, start to think, "Hey, this really could be our guy at this point"? Or yeah. when, when, when did it hit you of, "Hey, there's a strong possibility that"? Right. When was the difference between this might be our guy and oh my, I think this is our guy? No, I, I think once Steve brought that up, and, and uh, again, it was a mental reset for me when he said that because I was trying to, trying to get just take everything in. Uh, yeah, I mean, when he said that, because I would say definitely then when he said that inside the house, and then also. Once we got everything secured at the scene with enough people there, guys, and, and this is again where the community and, and the PD came together. You know, I mean, you had guys coming in from the the shift before that were working. You know, a, a night shift that came in and just sat on the house to make sure they can they can say this scene was secure. 
you know, and, and, and that, and that was huge for the neighbors in the community. You know, that was something that kept them at ease because nothing was getting out to the public as far as what we thought or what we had going. I mean, for, for the most part, the whole community besides my family knew that, you know, this the shit, is there a serial killer running around the area? Sure. What's going on? You know, who knows? Um, once we got him back, he, he agreed to come back to the PD. We did an interview with him. <clears throat> the interview lasted well over four hours. Um, we did that. And then once guys started coming from major K squad, you know, we started calling Columbia and still is to this day, part of major K squad, a big part of it. Chief Edwards, uh, you know, at the time he, he started making calls and he, he told, um, commander Baker, who's no longer with us anymore, but at the time he's from Ladue PD. He said, look, I, I need the best. He goes, this doesn't happen at all. You know, in our community, this is going to, the ripple effect is not gonna, just going to affect Columbia, but it's going to affect the whole County. Like we, I, I want the best. So he assembled like the best command staff, got him here in a heartbeat, and it was it was awesome. I mean, it was just the who's who of, you know, the major case squad, which was a blessing. I mean, it's one of those things where, in in your profession, where certain people walk in the door in a in a shit hitting the fan moment, you're like, ah, it's gonna be cool. We got this. It's gonna be okay. You know, yeah. and that's that's the guys that that showed up. So, um, so that 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 happened, and that that was kind of the moment once we got into the back to the PD and we started talking and we started interviewing. I'm like, okay, yeah, but this is this is the game plan and kind of go from there so then but when did you find out about like the girlfriend i mean you guys got the the his phone no i so yes and no i mean i can't remember the particulars about his phone but we actually so a good buddy of mine one of my best friends he is uh retired now he this is gonna make his head get huge if he ever listens to this (laughs) podcast but he's old and stupid so i don't think he's gonna work technology very well uh retired Illinois state trooper dave bivens he lives, he lives around here in the area. He, that guy is phenomenal. I mean, the guy is, he, he is one of the guys that, you know, along with Joe Edwards, along with John Simon, along with, you know, Mike Conrad, you know, all these guys helped me be the, you know, a, a better, and, and a, in my opinion, a good policeman. He, uh, he was there in the interview process with me. <clears throat> and he also, after Major Case had left, was there with me the whole time doing stuff. I mean, just making sure that we had what we needed. And that was the thing, too, is with Major Case, so the way Major Case worked back then is if you remember Major Case, you have a homicide or a violent act that happened, like a kidnapping or something that happened in your community. Being a member of Major Case, you call Major Case, they will send 25 detectives that work around the clock like that, and you get a deputy commander and what they call a report right, a report officer who is kind of like the second guy, you know, kind of like the assistant chief or whatever you want to call it, helping that report writer, the commander out, just making sure things are good and you're, you're delegating things, getting reports done and everything's good. You know, you're, you're it's not going 17,000 different ways that stays in one direction. Kind of like me in this interview right now. I'm just going down 17,000 right. different rabbit holes. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, with that, I mean, when they, they get five days to work a case. They get five days to work a case. If they need extensions, you know, they do it. But the host city, like, at this time in this case, Columbia, we were the host city because it happened in our city. You know, they, they pay for, we as a community, we we pay for lot, not, not lodging necessarily, but we pay for food, keep them fed, you know, all that stuff that they might need just to make their, whatever they need comfortable, they being the detectives to get the job done because they're working around the clock. I mean, there, there were some, sometimes where we, we would get maybe four hours sleep if that and turn around and, and get back to it. So it's 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 a great model. It's a great program to be in, and I'm I'm glad Columbia is still in it. Um, but during that time, that that was just something where everybody, 
you know, kind of pulled together and, and knocked that out. So once Major K Squad started getting there, detectives started showing up. Um, Jeff Connor, who's now the sheriff of Madison County, he <clears throat> also another guy that really mentored me and helped me out a lot and still does to this day. <clears throat> he uh, got guys together and started designing out what we call investigative leads, track this down, track that down. At some point, and I, I don't, I can't remember exactly how now, but at some point there was the girlfriend got identified. There was a phone call made from one of the detectives to uh, some Tampa Bay homicide investigators, and they went identified her. That's how, that's how the, uh, that that's how the. There's a lot of bourbon being poured in the scenes behind behind the scenes here. Um, Jody, it's not my glass. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how the that's how the girlfriend got identified in Tampa Bay, Florida. And, and, and according to her, you know, to her words, that yo, yeah, we're in a relationship. He's supposed to file for a divorce and blah blah blah. So that that's kind of when. All right, now we got a motive. Now we know what's going on, and things started unfolding, and just kind of went from there. Yeah. And listen, you guys got to stop me if I'm babbling. By the way, no, not at nope. all. Nope, absolutely not. Um, and I want to get back to the girlfriend and all that here in a second, but. What is your, I mean, you're a detective at the time. What is your relationship with the Major K Squad? Are you in charge of this and you're kind of directing the Major K Squad or are they in charge of the case and you're just kind of there as another? I mean, as soon as they walk yeah. in the door, pretty much they, they take charge, don't they? It, it's a collaborative effort, but it's, it's more like in, in that instance, let's use uh, now Sheriff you know, Connor. I mean, it's, hey, what do you need from us? He looks at the team he's got. We get into pairs, like groups of two. We look at the investigative leads that we, you know, that they have that needs to be done. I mean, because the first thing is, all right, obtain the, obtain the original police report so we can read and see what's going on, <clears throat> like figure out what happened, you know, what what needs to be done, what hasn't been done, hasn't been done. Because sometimes there might be things like, and I'm not using the Coleman case, but as an example, but just in general, if there's a homicide investigation going on, you might have something where, well, let's go do trash pulls, let's go look and see if there's something we can find, you know, that might help us indicate create some more leads or go talk sure. to neighbors and more we have more bodies at the time we'll do more intense you know neighborhood canvases and things like that um so yeah he it, it's a it's a collaboration of the host agency along with major k squad i mean they do a great job of being that we're here to help we're not here to take things over yeah and that's i know you gotta mention that's an awesome resource to have for their community and surrounding communities Absolutely. as well um going back to the girlfriend and she had mentioned that he wants to file for divorce. I know through the Joyce Meyer Ministries, divorce was a no. Where if you got a divorce, you're pretty much fired from the company, correct? So that was uh, that was an unwritten rule or policy, SOP, however you want to call it, that it was if you, if you got a divorce through an extramarital affair and didn't work on your marriage, then... That's that's what it was, is that you would, you know, be let go. That's what was told to us. Um, Joyce Meyer Ministry has been great. They've been, they, you know, they, I, when this first happened, they were there to support them because they were, they didn't know, they were like us. They were trying to work through things and sort things out. Um, so they, but again, I mean, they, 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 they've been great. I mean, they, they do a good job as far as doing what's right and doing you know, doing the, doing the right thing. And, and they gave us everything they could to, to help us out as far as determine all, all the policy and things like that. Joyce Meyer herself gave several, several interviews 
Um, but that, that was kind of the, the motivation behind everything. Yes. Yep. So how long into the investigation does something like that come up? I mean, that's a game changer. I mean, you know, um, is, is it, does all this kind of, does it all sync together within three or four days or is this a month? I, I would say somewhere between there. And, and again, I, I, the details no, as far okay. as the timeline, yeah. I can't remember exactly, but it came up, I believe through an interview of one of Sherry's friends, because Sher- Sherry and Chris were having problems. I mean, Sherry knew he was having an affair. She knew who he was having an affair with. Right. The The mistress down in Tampa was one of Sherry's best friends from high school. Really? Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> Excuse me. Part of Chris's job, would he would go in and do what we call an advance, because, again, he was the head of security for Joyce Meyer. So if she was, you know, and Joyce Meyer travels around the world as far as with her ministries and her, her crusades. So what he would do is, like, if she was going to go to, let's say, Tampa, Florida, he would go down a couple days or a day in advance and just make sure their site location is secure and identify any kind of weak points or be like, ah, maybe we need a guy here or we can secure this up and just kind of, you know, make it more, make just make it tighter as far as security goes. Mm-hmm. There was one instance where Sherry actually said, well, you know, my, my friend, she's down there, you know, you can she can show you around or whatever. So that that's how that came about. And then that's, it just kind of went from there. Yeah. So Sherry knew about it and she confronted him about it, you know, through, through interviews of different friends and things like that is what, what came about. And, you know, and that, that gets difficult too, because a lot of that is what, you know, do a homicide investigation when you have that it's hearsay, you know I mean? What we call hearsay as far as the type of evidence. And there's, there's a lot of back and forth of if that's admissible in court and things like that. And, you know, it's just, we, we were able to cooperate. That's, you know, that was what was going on. And that's, that was what was said by Sherry. And that, that again, like you said, I mean, that's, that's a game changer. Deal yep. breaker. And you had mentioned the interviews. Are you a part of these interviews? Were you interview with him in that four hour interview? I mean, where was your role with talking with all these people? Yeah, I, myself and, and, uh, you know, Dave Bivens, he was, you know, we were sitting there interviewing him and it, it, we, he, Chris never confessed during the interview, but I'm going to go back to what I said before about um, our communication is done with body language, not necessarily words yeah, that we say. Absolutely. There were so many times where <clears throat> he did so many things in that interview, which was recorded, by the way, you know, video and audio, that the jury was able to see as far as the things that he did, covering up his, his, uh, the abrasions on his forearm that we, we discussed earlier, um, just just different things, you know, when we, Dave and I walked out of the room to go kind of talk to what the investigators had found and a notebook that we were taking notes on was left. He gets up and does the whole chest out peacocking thing and starts looking through our notebook. You know I mean? Again, I, I go back to, if I'm in that situation, I'm give me a lie detector test. Why are you interviewing me? Go find the fucking guy that did this to my family. I go Jay. I'm yelling, I'm screaming, I want out of there. I want I want I want to be the guy that you're not doing enough. Like I'm answering your questions, let's go. It was right. it wasn't that. Yeah. And <clears throat> be, before we move on here, I mean, you're around the same age as he was. Mm-hmm. Your kids are pretty close in age. I mean, are you having some personal feelings towards this or nah. emotions? Now or then? <laughs> Both. Both. Uh I mean, I guess your kids are younger than they were. A little bit, but around the same age, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely it was it hit home, and I think it hit home for a lot of us because at the time we were there were a lot of guys around my age, you know, um, 
Steve Patton, even though he looks like he doesn't age, he's probably 63 right now. Yeah, he looks like he's 25. <laughs> right, but he's yeah. definitely yeah. 67. He is. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, we all had young families and we all had, we can all relate to that, right? Like you can yeah. all, I think especially the three of us that were in there and saw, we're like, holy shit, like what, you know, and that, that's one of the things that we said in the interview. It's like, look, man, we can, and again, realize that during an interview, this isn't necessarily anything we believe, but it's just something to start a conversation, you know, and it's just shitty the way society is right now. But we told them even back then, look, we can explain you get in a fight with your wife, you kill her. Okay. But dude. You just killed your two kids, so you did it either because you need some mental health. And that, again, I, don't, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was two options he had to choose from, and he yeah. he didn't choose either one. But it, it it's just one of those things where it's as having a young family, being around the same age, we were all you know kind of it hit home for all of us. Yeah, yeah. And so you're giving him these two options. So obviously, you guys are going into this with kind of a, a thought in the back of your mind that hey. This really could be a guy. I know you talked about it, but you're giving him these options. What is his response to this? I know you said that he's not choosing one side or the other, but did he act a certain way, or was there some that kind of led you to think a certain way? Um, I, I can't remember exactly his responses without looking at the video or looking at the report, but I just remember that it was very uh, ununique. It was not. It wasn't. It was practiced. If that, you know, like even, even yeah. back on the scene when he was crying in the driveway. Right. I mean, it was very like rehearsed. It was very, right. that's, that, that's what it looked like to me. And you had enough people from between you being in cases and Carla being in cases and, and then the major case squad being in cases that you can all detect. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> more of the guys that have more experience than me detected that first, but absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it was, you know, I, I still get shit to this day from. Jeff Connor, you know, he says, you know, it, it was a great case, but it would have been a lot better if you would have got a confession. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. a joke, TJ. I mean, Jesus, laugh a little bit. Sorry. Jeez. I was being serious. Um, so it, uh, yeah, I mean, so going back to like Dave and, and how that all transpired, I mean, th- that whole interview, I mean, there was, even though we didn't get a confession, we still got his body language that we showed to the jury, you know, they were able to see that. And that that's huge. I mean, that's being me being able to tell you, it's almost like reading a text or an email, right? Like if you, you lose context, you lose that human nature rather than having a personal one-on-one sure. conversation. Sure. Yeah. So Absolutely. That's how that was. Absolutely. Yeah, you can never read a text. Yeah. But like, so how difficult was that? The, the case, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the courtroom, um, you know, the to to be interrogated on the on the stand and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I it was it was nerve wracking. I mean, uh, but it was also closure. Like I mean, it, it was something. I mean, for me, it was. I'm put, we're gonna. This is the first step in putting all the shit behind us. I mean, it's it's closure for it. It's you know, we're Sherry Garrett Gavin. They can rest in peace. We can move forward. and We can get past this, and he's gonna be where he needs to be. He being Chris. <clears throat> um. The, the, that, that whole time period, as far as the trial, um, we, do you want to jump to that right now? Or do you want to get into anything? No, 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 no. Go, go back to do what you were, no, I, mean, no. I was just thinking, I mean, you were. No, uh, I, I just, I mean, there, there were, God, there were so many things in that case that were just, that were out of the box thinking. And, and, and I know that, you know, now there's been 
several of us that have had different career paths and some of us have, ne- you know, there might be some listening or some on the community that might have very negative feelings towards a lot of people that are no longer with the PD or the community. Joe Edwards, especially, you know, I know Kevin Hutchinson isn't here with us anymore, but, um, in that snapshot in time, those guys were amazing. Those guys were there for the community. They were there for us as a family. Um, there was, there was, uh, <laughs> so whenever that happened, Joe, Chief Edwards called a uh, a security company that came in from St. Charles County, and he said, I don't want one entry in this house. And talking about our house, he had them install a security uh, system that we paid for. It wasn't like the city paid for anything, right. but he's like, I don't want one point of entry uncovered in this house. Every window, any place somebody can crawl into, I want it covered. He goes, I don't care how long you're here. Let me know. And, I mean, the guy was there. He's like, after the guy left, he did a great job. I mean, that place is like, I mean, you, the the federal courthouse down in St. Yeah. Louis that I work in is probably less secure than that house is now. But, um, yeah, I mean, the guy after he was done, he's like, I've never put, you know, this much system or equipment in, in a building before the corporation. So, what, what was his fear there as far as, I mean, because Chris was in no, jail. No, no, I, and... I, don't, I don't think it was a fear. I think it was just more he was worried about my family. He was worried about the neighbors. He was he was worried about my, my wife, you know, Jody, and making sure that they felt secure. And yeah. because at that time, I mean, that, that case went on for, even though the major case had, had left, expanded, or I'm sorry, disbanded, uh, that was something that went on, that, that consumed the Columbia PD and a lot of resources from the city for months and months, almost a year, if not more. Sure. So we were gone a ton. I mean, there were a lot, and, and that's what he wanted. That's, oh, okay. That's it's security. because you weren't there and yeah. that kind of stuff. Okay. I get yeah. that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so after the interview, he gets cut loose. We take, uh, the, and this is something which is awesome. Um, you know, Sheriff Connor, he goes back to, we start talking about investigative techniques. Like, all right, we need, this is a total circumstantial case right now. We don't have a murder weapon. We don't have a confession. We don't have witnesses. You know, what do we have? So obviously we, we go to science, right? Like we, we have time of death. And Jeff Connor says, well, I went to this, uh, I went to this training where Dr. Dr. Bodden was there. He's a pathologist and I think we can reach out to him. And he just types an email or makes a phone call. And Dr. Bodden says, absolutely, I'll take a look at what you had. The pathology reports and the autopsies were already done. So all he had to do was, was review the review the reports from the pathologist and just say, based on their or her report, what was what conclusion would he come to? And uh, it sounds like I'm playing the drums when I hit that box. Sorry. You're good. <laughs> You're good. So that Dr. Bodden jumped on board. He became one of our... He looked at the report. He gave us a time of death. Um, he says, I, I can tell you that the, these... The victims were were definitely dead by, I believe it was midnight at 3 o'clock a.m. And again, I'd have to go back and look at the exact times on the reports, but it was somewhere there. And um, I, I left this part out. When we were getting those letters or when he was getting those letters and left in his house, we were doing the neighborhood canvases and stuff. I called the Illinois State Police. I'm working with them. We had a great rapport with them. They have a, a technical division. They supplied cameras, and back then it was VCRs. And if anybody's listening this young enough, they don't know what a VCR is, Google it. But <laughs> VCR, we had a, a camera on a VCR that was uh, pointing out of my son's room. You know, Jack was, shit, he was uh, he was four at the time, so he was young. <clears throat> and it was the VCR was under his bed. So we, were, we recorded everything as far as, like, pe- people coming and going from the front of the house. And uh, we saw when when Chris left that morning, the morning that they, de- that they died. 
<clears throat> so that shored up everything because in his interview really? he said that yeah i kissed sherry you know goodbye and she was alive and everything was good so he that was in the interview locked up tight but it didn't coincide with it, it didn't lock up with what the science proved and you know everything we could prove time of death so that was that was good wow so that was one of the things that helped us out and then uh you know jeff also thought about the uh handwriting example so before before he he being chris actually left the interview room we said well, okay we 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 took you know fingernail clippings to look for dna underneath there we took hair samples i, be, I believe we took hair samples because the only state police sent a friend a uh, evidence technician they were there side by side with us and they helped us do that and then they they uh you know, he said, "What about a handwriter exemplar?" Which basically is, if <clears throat> if I if I have a crime that has any kind of signatures or handwriting involved, we all have unique ways of writing, right? We all have unique ways of. It might not be everything, but it might be one or two letters that we're like, "Okay, well, that's him." So we did that, and we tried to match it up, and took samples of everything that was spray painted, you know, on the walls, the messages, and everything, the helter skelter stuff. Um, so after we did that. Jeff actually reached out to a forensic lingu- linguistic. Am I saying that right? Yeah. <laughs> out of Hofstra University in New York. And this guy was amazing. I mean, this guy was actually in one of the original bands at Woodstock. I mean, he was he was he was awesome. He ended up taking like all of these different just thousands and thousands of documents from the area to get the vernacular you know, like what we would say, different slang. You, there's obviously different things and, you know, words or how we talk from the Midwest sure, compared to sure. East Coast, South, and things like that. So we compared that with what we found and then also compared it with documents that were authored by Chris on his computer. And so we were able to, you know, match that up. And so that was one one great piece of circumstantial evidence that we were able to get. Didn't he misspell one <laughs> certain word? Opportunity. Yeah, right. several, several times. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was also unique thing that he did um but, but illinois state police they have several handwriting guys you know that that uh that that look at handwriting examples and they can say based on this handwriting exemplar which is basically just whenever you have a, a suspect or whatever you get a search warrant and you say hey there's a template fill this stuff out boom so it's something that they they have to go by that helps them can guide these uh what are they called? They're, they're handwriting experts, basically. I'm, I'll just say that, you know, with uh, in law enforcement, they basically just kind of say, well, based on this, what they wrote that we asked them to write and what we know, you know, from the crime scene, I can say this is this guy and it stands up in court. I mean, it's, it's, it's a proven method. It's good to go. Sure. So that time of death, you know, that was all there. Um, and the one thing too, that was, that was a, a killer is no pun intended, but it was more of, Whenever he called me that morning, records showed that he was basically in 255 northbound going towards Dupo. Kind of, really? yeah. So, I mean, he, he was stalling, basically. Right, right. So, I mean, that, that was another oh, thing. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, a lot, a lot of stuff that happened, you know, that, yeah. that didn't didn't hit the news or didn't hit the, the police report, things like that. But just, I'm bringing all this up just to say there was a lot of out-of-the-box thinking by guys in the community, outside the community, with the community in mind, just to make sure everybody had a peace of mind. Yeah. <clears throat> they also find a piece of twine, right? Yeah. From the, the hay or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that was never, we never were able to match that up. Oh, I mean, really? the ligature marks on the victims were very smooth. I mean, it wouldn't always be like, 
an Ethernet cable, one of these mic cables, something like that, that, that we, we couldn't. Okay. We couldn't we couldn't find that, or we we couldn't find anything that we could say a thousand you know hundred percent, boom that's it right yeah yeah. So in your opinion, what was going towards I guess the in the courtroom? What was the coup de gras? What was the final blow that was like, hey, this guy did it? I think it was Doctor Baden. Whenever he was able to prove the time of death, and he he's his testimony. The way he testifies, he's just so professional. The way he interacts with the jury, the way he interacts with defense attorneys, and I mean, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't even know if he's alive anymore. I mean, this guy, he did. Is that the, the guy from the HBO show? Yeah, that, yeah, that he, guy. Yeah, he did the yeah, autopsy. Show was I awesome. Think JFK, even I know Dr. Martin Luther King. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's he's the man. So he's the guy. The guy. Yes. Wow. He's he's the man. He is him. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he knows the stuff for sure, but yeah, so it, it's those things, and it was the uh, the one thing too that you know we identified a one of and I can't remember his name, but one of his brothers, Chris's brothers, looks very very similar to Chris, <clears throat> and uh, he at the time lived in Arkansas, so we wanted to make sure that they couldn't they be in the defense couldn't bring up well, and again in in any kind of criminal trial it just has to be you have to bring up a reasonable doubt in the jury's mind. Right. So Sheriff Connor, you know, brought up the fact, he's like, well, if, if so-and-so looks like, you know, if his brother looks like Chris, we need to make sure that there's no way he could go from Arkansas to here, commit the crime, and then go back to Arkansas in that time period that lines up with the time of death. So Dave Bivens, Carla Heine, and two other guys from the Major Case Squad drove down to Arkansas. They interviewed got a great statement from from the brother and the wife <clears throat> and uh knocked that out. I was on the stand for like a day and a half, two days maybe. And sure shit, that's exactly what his defense attorney his defense one of his defense attorneys came up and said, "Well, do you know he's got a brother that looks very similar and I'm paraphrasing here, but looks very similar to Chris. Is it possible?" And as soon as he said is it possible, I just I I'll never forget this. I just smiled. I'm like, "Go ahead. You know, like it you're right. It's possible, but it's not possible because right. we already Already flushed it out, you know. I mean, and that we, we had his defense teams members from his defense attorneys, which were great, great attorneys. I mean, these guys were compared to the O.J. Simpson dream team. These guys were the dream team of the Midwest. I mean, it's there. He had guys on the federal team. You know, Bill Margulis, great, great attorney. Uh, John O'Gara, who is now uh, a, a judge in St. Clair County. I mean, just great, great guys at their job. Right. 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 <clears throat> um, they were. You know, afterwards, after everything, they're like, "You guys, this was a lock, lock tight case. Like, this is, we had no answers for him. You know, he he kept asking us, when is it my turn? When is it my turn?'" And they were like, "We we don't have anything. Like, there's nothing here. There's nothing really." Which was, you know, again, that goes back to the leadership, the community, the officers doing the shit work, in my opinion, like sitting on the house and doing surveillance and like, "Hey, can you go check this trash can or whatever it may be?" There was no egos in that case whatsoever that I'm aware of, and that's. That's what brings it together. Yeah, that's that awesome. Yeah. Now, speaking of the community, I mean, after everything was done and over, I mean, were you aware of the outpouring of the community as far as, you know, um, Garrett and Gavin's, you know, football jerseys being hung at the Blue Jay field? And, I mean, you guys, were you – it was so long ago, I don't really remember, you know, but – So I mean, some of that – some of that um, – some of that happened after – 
I had been hired with the marshals and a lot of that stuff had happened. Like whenever we were in the process of moving and going, going through the Academy and trying to, trying to get established to where we were going to go next. So I, I knew of that, but I, unfortunately I, I, I wasn't a part of it. Now is, is part of the, the chaos that after the case was over, I mean, is that part of the reason why you decided to move on? You know, I, so it was, it's funny cause I actually went and did my informational session during the, uh, during the investigation and Connor gave me so much shit for that, you know, for, he's like, yeah, go ahead and leave. This is your shit show, you know, but you go interview for the, and, and he was, you know, kidding obviously. But so that, that whole process was like an 18 month process. I mean, it, it's nothing that happened okay. overnight. By I mean, I didn't know if the pressure after the fact, you know, kind uh, of, it, it definitely, I mean, that's a lot, that's a lot on your shoulders. I no, mean, that's a lot. It was know? more, it was more like, I give credit to my wife. I um, mean, she. Rockstar, you know, solid got me got me through that, and I, I think that was I talked about faith, and I think it was just God's plan to get getting us out of there, saying, "All right, good here now. I want you to go this way." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, TJ, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and just I want to kind of move towards you here for a second. I do not have a fan only page if that's what that's called, and I don't <laughs> do the Legos. I don't do the nude Legos, and I don't <laughs> no, have no, I don't have Legos. a cat. <laughs> well, I'm glad you don't have a naked Lego because that's my idea, and I'd see you anyway. Um, but as far as you mainly, and I guess we can incorporate your whole family as a whole in this, um, your mental standpoint, I mean, how, and if you're not comfortable no, go dealing with this, how do you deal with that? Because that's not something that any Tom, Dick, or Jane can deal with. I mean, the things that you saw and you had to deal with and the amount of stress that you had to deal with, and we talked about how your families are similar. I mean, what kind of weight did that put on you? It, it I mean, looking back, I think it, I realized how much weight it put on all of us, not just me, but all of our families. And when I say us, I'm talking about the PD, the community. But, I mean, honestly, it, a lot of praying, a lot of just family support, my, my wife, you know, my kids in-laws, just stuff like that. I mean, and having a, just a huge, strong support system just got me through it. I mean, that's, that's like, that's, that's the key. I mean, just being able to, to get through that with decompression and going from there and have, having stuff to look forward to, you know, and just kind of, I mean, there, there were, there were some moments and stuff like that where my wife and I had talked through some, a lot of stuff and, and she luckily is okay with me drinking bourbon, so that's uh, you know. Yeah, I mean Jody is a rock star. She is, and, and but I mean, and I can also see her respecting your job and maybe not asking questions. But I mean, it it when it all first went down, I mean, I'm sure she had some concerns. Yeah, she did. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing she wanted to know was, okay, is there a lunatic running through the neighborhood? Right. You know. And, right. I mean, like you were asking TJ. I mean, day one. We had an idea. We were fairly certain. No, we're, and even people in the neighbors that were coming up, like, "Oh, what the, what's going on?" We're like, "You're, you're fine. We're, we're good." Um, yeah. So I mean, she's, she's been through a lot. I mean, even with this job that I have now, I mean, it's, oh. it's fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you something. I don't think we've ever had this discussion, but I mean, uh, I helped Justin coach baseball for a few years, and yep. He will send me text messages. It'll say, hey, sorry, guys. Uh, I'm going to be late for practice. I'm getting shot at right now. I'm hiding behind a car. <laughs> you, hold, hold on a second. You sent him a text while you're getting shot at. Yeah, saying, I'm that's what he's concerned practice. about. It was, uh, this is, like, I'm not trying to make this sound like I'm some, you know, 
whatever. But no, you are. It's okay. No, no. It, it, I swear to. I swear. So let, let I me got say a this. Text message said, "Sorry, guys, I'm going to be late for practice. I'm hiding behind a car right now, getting shot at." I, and I thought you'd appreciate that. You know, the funny thing about that is, is that one of the there were two St. Louis City guys with me. One of them is a cousin of Ben Roethlisberger. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it was. But anyway, yeah, that guy was from the state of Washington. This white crazy dude on dope, and he was at a high rise, and he was in South City, and he was shooting at us. And uh, there were four of us that were. Yeah. We took a selfie, and uh, there was a break in the action because the FBI, DEA, and a couple other guys, local SWAT teams had like a a couple Bearcats, and he started firing at the Bearcats, which are just like huge SWAT vehicles. And then we said, okay, I think it's time to, to run. <laughs> and there was an alleyway across from where we were, high, you know, like bunkered down on the, this car because he got on the radio or he started yelling, I see you out there in the car. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, and then he started firing a couple rounds. And, I mean, they didn't, like, come super close to us or whatever. But It doesn't he, matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> but the funny thing we're, we're is. There's no such point. thing as super yeah. close. But the, the funny thing is is the guys from the city were like, all right, you go. And then like, okay. And they, they ran and then he started like firing again. Again, I don't think it was at us. I think he was he's just an idiot and he was just shooting. But they literally dive <laughs> behind this detached garage and we're like, Oh shit, you all right? And all of a sudden we just see a couple we see one hand with the middle finger going, Fuck you <laughs> But it was it, it's stuff like that that makes you laugh. I mean it's just after it's all said and done. I yeah. so I and, and again, jumping around, but I, I don't think I really and this is no disrespect to anybody they've ever worked with on the local levels of the Columbia policemen, but I don't think I really learned how to become a, a, a cop until I got to St. Louis as a deputy U.S. marshal because we, I, we got back actually next month, believe it or not, it would be seven years in February, and we have been in four shootings. And when I say that, that's not me pulling the trigger. That's me being on scene with guys that have pulled the trigger, we've been shot at, things like that. And it's, I mean, it's it's pretty intense. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, that that's too... I mean, vastly different aspects of LEOs. I mean, you have your local law enforcement officers doing your local thing, and then now you're going to the federal level of a whole nother ball game. Right. You know, so like you said, it's no disrespect to the local guys. It's no disrespect to the federal guys. That's that's two it's just vastly different. different parts. Yeah. Um, so going towards what you do now, I mean, what I mean, what do you do now as, you know, as your uh, your uh, supervisor deputy of the U.S. Marshals? So this is uh, this is like a dream come true. Like what what I do now in St. Louis, we have about 48 deputies, um, which is a very that's very big. You know, Columbia national average was anyway, back when I was a, a real policeman, it was about 12 per across the country. Was, every agency was about 12. Uh, every department had like 12 uh, cops or officers. We have 48. I was talking to a guy. I was in some training last week in Lexington, Kentucky, and there was a guy from Vegas. Las Vegas, Nevada has 25 deputies. I mean, just to give you an idea of like where we're at as far as how many how many deputy U.S. marshals we have in St. Louis City. Um, so I am fortunate enough to be a supervisor for our OSADF strike force. Um, we have six guys that are out there full time. OSADF just stands for the uh, Organized Crime and Drug uh, Enforcement Task Force. So it's it's kind of like if you have anything that, you know, um, kind of the old mafia days, like any kind of uh, organized crime, right now it focuses on money laundering, um, big cartel stuff that might come over, any major crime that crosses state lines and things like that. So 
it's it's cool. So our, our guys basically get cases that are worked up from local agencies, other federal agencies, and when they get warrants for the guys, we just go out and we, we take care of it. But, I mean, you have been up to Minnesota or somewhere, yeah. I think, you know, for yeah. manhunts and yeah. stuff like that. So, I mean, they pull you from all over the place. They, they do. But, it, and, and again, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm, I still wait for the day. And I, I, I'm not saying this in a braggadocious way. I've, I've been lucky enough to be promoted twice in the marshals, and I'm still waiting for the government to call. He, he's not bragging. Though. No, let me finish. <laughs> I'm waiting for someone from D.C. to call and say, we really fucked this up. We meant to say another Justin Barlow or a Jason Barlow should be promoted, not you. Yeah. So, But no, yeah, there's a – so the marshal service, I mean, we, we're, we're kind of like – there's a lot of people that ask, like, what, do you, what do you guys do? We, we are – in my words, my opinion, we're like the blue-collar law enforcement, federal law enforcement agency that's out there. I mean, we, we, we're like a, a sheriff's department on the Fed level. I mean, so we we serve process, which means like writs, um, detainers, all, all that good stuff. I mean, we do auctions. I've actually had to do an auction before, which is crazy. And I'm like, An uh, auction? Yeah. When I was in Des Moines, Iowa, I had to go out to some BFE place in Iowa where there was an – so anytime that there's, an, a, there's a property or a, let's say a yacht or any – big piece of equipment that's seized by a, a doper or, or a bad guy, the marshal service basically serves as that secretary, if you will. Like we take the property, once the property, we auction the property off, we take the funds from that property and we put it in, we oversee the, 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 the funding part of it, if, if you will, like the account part of it. <clears throat> so, so I mean, you're going, hey, 75, 75, 75. Well, the problem is in Des Moines, Iowa, there are a lot more people that are there trying to buy the property that are better at that than me. Right. So I did not try to do that. I'm like, <laughs> can I get 100? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. But yeah, so we do that. We do, we, we just, we do prisoner transports. We do the Con Air. I mean, we do everything. But you go to Washington, D.C. Yep. You've been down to the border. Yeah. As, we, you know, do you want to get into that at all? No, absolutely. So uh, there's several different parts of our, our agency that uh, we do. I mean, you know, again, we do we do a lot of, a, a lot of different things. We're also a very small agency. There's only 4,000 deputies approximately in the, the whole, across the whole country. Um, I'm lucky enough to be a part of what we call IMT, which is Incident Management Team. And being first responders, I'm sure you guys are very familiar with the ICS model. You know, and that's what yep. we do, like the incident command structure. Uh, we get taught in that. We take all the all the classes. And so anytime there's like a natural disaster and FEMA gets activated and the government says, all right, we have, they have more, man, what is it? I don't know the exact number, and I should, of how many different federal um, functions that we have. But we're FS-13, which basically is the law enforcement function. So whenever FEMA is activated, like Hurricane Ian in Florida, I, I went down there with my team. I got called. Me and another guy from the office were part of the team. We got called down, drove from St. Louis to South Carolina, and then we bunkered down for the hurricane to hit. And once it hit, they said, okay, now we need you to go to Atlanta. We need you to deputize like 100 different HSI guys because they're going to be what we call QRT, quick response team. They're going out there, and they're going to make sure that they're going to basically live in tents, you know, for however long. They're going to search for bodies. They're going to, you know, make sure that nobody's looting. They're going to they're going to help out, but they need to be – Deputy U.S. Marshal deputized to give them the arrest powers and things that they need to do. So we did that. Again, pretty cool. We're from South Carolina to Atlanta, stayed in Atlanta. I drove back to Orlando, and then from Orlando I came back home. And just doing that, like setting up a command post to make sure our guys and the QRTs, the quick response teams, had what they needed, you know, to, to hot water, you know, check it on, make sure they had food, make sure they were happy so they can do their job. So this is all the, bo- <laughs> the baloney that you missed 
baseball, 14, <laughs> 14 new baseball practice for is what you're saying. Yeah, but I, I, I try not to miss any games, just to practice. No, you, I don't know if you ever missed any. <laughs> now, going back to the, the misses, I mean, what is – I mean, I know Jody knows what's going on on sure. that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I mean, she I is could, she is a stud. She is. I could, I could not – so whenever I got the – we, we kind of planned out as far as – we, I mean, I say we, like whenever we, I talk about the job, as far as the marshal service, I always say we got hired, we did this because it was definitely a team thing and it still is to this day. So I, whenever we got the phone call, it was the supervisor from Des Moines and he goes, Hey, this is so-and-so. I'm like, Hey, how's it going, sir? And he's like, I just want to let you know that we're thinking about hiring you and thinking about selecting you. I'm like, okay. You know? And I was, uh, I was actually at the lunch with like Carla Heine and a couple other people in Columbia. And I, uh, they said Des Moines, Iowa. I'm like, there's no fucking way Jody's going to go for Des Moines, Iowa. And it, going back to the Coleman case, it was right behind of that. She was burnt out. She was sure, you know, she was ready to for a change. And we were we were thinking, if we got picked up, we were going to go to Chicago. I mean, that was just kind of the the thing out there. So we were looking at places in Chicago, and we were thinking of things and what we could do and planning trips back home and things like that. And then I said Des Moines, Iowa. She goes, huh. Isn't it really cold out there? I'm like, I have no idea. I go, I've never been there. I go, I think in Des Moines, Iowa, and it's, you know, cornfields and whatever. But I, I got to tell you, I mean, that place is one of the highlights of our marriage, highlights of our lives. I mean, it was, the, you know, I, I don't mean this in a, in a sarcastic way. It was a godsend. I mean, it was, this is home for us. It'll always be home for us. But, I mean, Des Moines will always have a special place in our heart because it was just very, very clean. It was, a, it, was a, it was just a surprise. I mean, we made... Still have a lot of good friends up there that we stay in contact with, and you know it, it was it was good. It was a good change at the right time. Yep, absolutely. And I I know Justin, you kind of mentioned this briefly, but with you having to deal with this huge life event, this huge traumatic event, and then now you're moving to a different part of the country. Um, and then you're coming back, and now you're back into a extremely, I don't want to say hazardous, but it is an extremely hazardous job that you have and a demanding job, and you have this family that's super supportive, and you have mentioned your religion multiple times. You know, How does that play a fact, factor into you? As far as religion? Yes, sir. Well, I, I mean, I couldn't do anything without God. I couldn't do anything without my faith. And I, I think that's a big part of who I am. And, and <laughs> I mean, believe me, I'm, I'm probably the worst Christian you're ever going to meet. But I mean, it's, you know, I, 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 I'm not somebody, I hope I don't come, come across this way. Like, I'm not going to push my beliefs or thoughts down anybody's throat. And if you don't believe, I'm not going to judge you. And, you know, it is what it is. Because I've, <laughs> I've done a lot that would make you just, you know, second guess my beliefs. But it, I'm also human. I mean, I don't think there's a difference between a bad Christian or a good Christian. I think we're just all Christians. I mean, those that believe. And it, it is, you know, we're human. It is what it is. And I, yeah. that, But that, that's what's gotten me to where I am. And I think that's what, you know, my family and I have uh, a lot in common in that way. I mean, my kids make me feel like a horrible person every day because Jack, <laughs> you know, Jack is an amazing amazing young man. He gets up every Sunday and goes to church. I mean, he's that's where he met his girlfriend who's still – they're together and he's, you know, she's a college student right now and, and they're, they're doing great. And it's just, it, it's cool. I mean, it's cool to see them kind of grow up in that aspect and things like that. So I don't know if I'm answering your question the right way, but that that's a big part of who I am and a big part of, of, uh, you know, what's got me and my family through what I am. And I, there, I've heard something before somebody said, if you died or, you know, it was a, 
it was a crime to be a Christian. Is there ever any evidence in your life to say he's guilty? And I'm like, well, I mean, I need to do more of that. You know, I need to need to do more to, to let people know what God has done for me to get me where I am, get me through what I've been through. My family get us all through that. I mean, I, and I, I try to do a little bit better. And you kind of cut me off guard whenever I, you talked about New Year's resolutions. I'm not a quick woody thinker as, as well as I'd, I'd like to be, but that's one of them, you know, like getting to church and, and doing doing things like that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge part of what I do and who I am. And I just want to get better in that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I know me being from the outside and knowing you from secondhand, you know, I, I already knew that this was a big part of your life and it, it's got to play a big part of who you are and having to overcome these obstacles that these major obstacles that you've had to overcome throughout your entire life, career, family, no matter what it have to be. So I think in the one thing that is the one thing it's hard now is uh, I, there's a lot of guys in our profession, whether it's federal, state, local, whatever, that are just knuckle dragging, meat eating, you know, just like Mike, like Mike. Yeah. Mike's a great guy. Uh, we call him tactical Santa Claus, by the way. But uh, yeah, there's, there, I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that have had so much different life experiences in the military. Like, you know, we we're talking about Dustin and, and, and the god awful things he witnessed and been through. There, there are several guys that are like that and their hearts are hardened and they just come out and they're cynical. And unfortunately, those, those are the guys you want on your team and in my profession, but it's also one of those things too, where you get into it, you start, sometimes you start changing. And that's one of the things that Jody and I started talking about over the last, I don't know, six to 12 months. It's been, you know, you come home and you're, you're kind of being an asshole. And then when you drink bourbon, you're even more of an asshole. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's just alcohol. It's just, you know, it's just, no, my, dude, it's just I, my genes. I tell you, man, you are one of my top oh, top three guys that I know. I mean, uh, dude, I, you're you're the, the, the genuine deal. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah I mean, it went, you know, he's coached Coop for baseball for, what, five years or something yeah. like that. And, you know, doesn't <clears throat> push the religion on them, but they do a team prayer before every – and it's awesome. I mean, every kid knows, you know, that it's it's time, and, and it's 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 a big deal. It's, no, absolutely. I appreciate that. And I, I'm glad you brought that up to you because I was going to wait until the very end of this to, to bring this up, but – Jessamine, you are a, a role model of the community. You are a role model to set your family a part of. I mean, you're a role model to set your marriage a part of. I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for you. Well, I appreciate I, that. I, I, and that. And his family is disgustingly nice. I yes. mean, I, and I can say that. Yes. I mean, both boys, his wife, it makes me sick how nice they are. It really <laughs> does. Yeah. I've never seen Jonathan pissed. I've never seen Jack pissed. Uh, Jody, the only time she ever gets mad is if you yell, hey, Jody, watch out for the foul ball. <laughs> it's the only time she gets mad. I mean, it's just. Well, I can. It is. I can it bring is. up well, some more. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you can. But, I mean, the whole crew is just, it's absurdly nice. Yeah. But, I mean, again. I know this is going to sound like we're going back and forth here, but we try to surround ourselves like around people like you and and just personalities like this, just to keep us humble and keep us going in the right direction. So that's that's what it's about. Yeah. We, I, I thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. And before we close out here, Justin, you're a big bourbon guy. Me and TJ are both big bourbon guys. We a big part of our life is our bourbon and our love for bourbon, and we love to share it with other people. So. If you can give me your top bourbon, all right. I'm not talking no pappy, so no, don't even no, go no, no, there. No, I don't, don't even go there. Not at all. So here's my thing. I like, 
I'm a big Russell's reserve fan. Love oh, Russell's. Okay. Now you're but I will, my language. I, I love Russell's and not to be mainstream or not to be on the bandwagon, but I, I'm a big fan of so my thing is with bourbon to me, it's the it's the history, it's the kind of like the image of our country, right? It's like the you know, fuck yeah, this is American. We're doing this and yeah. that's what I love about it. And Buffalo Trace. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. If you've ever been there, I have. I love I have. it. I, I mean, we went there for Jody's birthday in October. Went there in the spring, this past spring, and I mean, it's it's just, it's more than just, you know, w- with Illinois being, they can jack up the prices and do whatever they want. It's hard to find. I get it, but when you go up to and you learn the history of it, if you have an opportunity to take the tours, or even just go on the campus and you learn about Colonel Blanton, you know, Colonel Staggs, uh, Staggs, Staggs, Stag. <laughs> um, all those yeah. guys, El- Elmer T. Lee, you learn about all that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just so much passion went into this to keep this going to what it is. I mean, you know, and obviously Colonel Taylor, I mean, it's, it's just, it's super cool and it's, yeah. I love it. So my, my favorite bourbon would, one of my favorite bourbons, I mean, I love Blanton's, I love E.H. Taylor, Jody, <laughs> this is, this is a kick in the nuts. So she's a bourbon drinker and there's the first, so we went in March to, <clears throat> to the bourbon trail for the very first time we get back and she's just you know blah 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 sitting there and then all of a sudden i hear the the old whiskey cabinet open and then i hear i go i pop around the corner and uh she's opened a bottle of blanton's i go uh the fuck are you doing she's like we bought it i'm drinking this shit so she starts pouring it i'm like well why not you know i mean so that's i i do like blanton's and it's not being the bougie or whatever i just, I just like the taste but i i yeah. like I really, really like Traveler. If you've had a chance to get that, I have not. I, it's uh, so. I again, I was fortunate enough to go to Lexington for work last week, and that's when the Buffalo Tracing Traveler's a. It's a blended whiskey. It's a, a mashed bill number forty from Buffalo Trace and, and Chris Stapleton, and they came together and they did all this. And it, man, it's it's smooth. It's a whiskey, not a bourbon, but it's it's one of those things where he wanted to put it out there. From my understanding, he wanted to put it out there where everybody can find it. It's not super expensive. It's not going to be price gouged. I mean, it, dude, it's. It should be coming out like in February where everybody can get it if it's not there already, but it's it's worth it. It's good. Yeah. Have absolutely. you been on the uh, Haunted Bourbon Trail yet? No. Oh, no, nope, absolutely not. Have you, talk, <laughs> have you talked to our good buddy John Karen lately? I, I have not. No, I have not. Uh, John went on a, a Haunted Bourbon Trail, and they were downstairs, and he took a picture, and he showed their tour guide a fo- the photo that he took, and there was a ghost behind her. And she said, let's go. Let's get out right now. I don't really. has that photo on his phone. I'll have to ask him. And Yeah. He said, she said, let's get out of here. Yeah. I've never seen a photo like that. So that must be something else. I mean, John. Was it, where was it at? I don't I think it was down there in the Bourbon Trail. Oh, wow. Yeah, there must be a haunted bourbon kind of a deal. But yeah, John's I've got never, a picture yeah. on his phone. And he showed me, and it was something else. I've I mean, never heard just, of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, just just lots of history behind it, lots of stories and it's it's cool. I mean, it's and I'll tell you what, as much as I love Colombia and as much as I um uh, we've been talking about the community, man, how great of a job has Waterloo done with that square down there? I oh, mean, that my is just God. fucking rock star. And I think Absolutely. Columbia's trying. I think they're trying yeah. and I hope they're trying, but oh, Hopskellers and the oh, line man. and all that. that Stubborn that, German. Yeah. Yes. That whole killer. area is yep. great. Absolutely. Doing a great job with that. I mean, great job. That's yep. awesome. And I, I've talked to TJ about this and Going forward, I want us to do a bourbon trip. Hell yeah. So me and TJ, we've already gotten this, and I would love for you to be a part of it. Absolutely. Um, Adam Jackson, who's an officer with Columbia right now, yeah. he's big into it. He wants to go. 
Um, Adam Tybert, he's a dispatcher for Columbia. He okay. wants to go. So I think that if, if we can get a group, and if anybody listening wants to go as well, I think we could make this a really fun trip to go for. We go get a couple bottles and, you know, hang out, have a great time. I mean, I, I've been down four times now to the Bourbon Trail. I know what I like. I know what I don't yeah. like. and I've I th- never been. I just want to throw it out there. That's if anybody- why I want to go. Yeah, Anybody okay. wants to go, let's uh, let's meet up at Top Shooters the Friday night that uh, comes oh, out. Oh, here we go. We'll take off here from there. Here we go. Yeah. But I'm no. in. Let's do it. Yep. Let's do it. We're going we're gonna to get this thing planned, and we're going to have a uh, From the Nest bourbon trail. Free beer koozies for every free bourbon koozies. There we go. There yeah. we go. We'll get some. We'll get you know T-shirts. What? We'll make some custom glasses, some custom Glencairn glasses, because I, I can do it with my... Uh, my little small business now. So we'll get some custom Glencairn glasses for our bourbon trail. We'll go down. Mm, That's stretching it. We'll we'll talk to our favorite ladies at Renew, see if they can get some more t-shirts. Is this the the business you talk of? Is this the naked Lego man thing? No, no, that's what's funding it. That's what's funding it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, I I appreciate the, the offer and, yeah, like I said, pretty intimidating coming in here. I think uh, if I'm invited back next time, we should probably do a little bit of bourbon beforehand, and then we're in. It's going to be good. Yeah, you'll be back. I don't know what we'll talk about. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, oh, I mean, yeah. we'll talk about the uh, the border hey, trip. I'll do the Steve Cold, uh, or Steve Austin, Stone Cold, whatever. The there we go. The wine is going. Yeah. Hey, I do, real quick, I do. There's a, there's a buddy of mine in the Marshall Service who's got uh, his his dad was Big John Stud. Is that right? Yeah. His dad was Big John Stud? Yeah. Oh wow! Awesome guy. And that uh, dude is the quietest, most humblest guy. He doesn't say anything about it. And you walk in his, he's on our like national SWAT team, and you walk in his office, and he's got the the figurines. I'm like, and somebody told me about it after I went to a trading with him. Like, I call him. I said, "Hey man, uh, is this right?" He goes, "Oh yeah." I go, "What? Why didn't you say anything?" He's like, "What do you want me to say? You want me to tell me stories about you know when I was a kid coming to my house and my dad and Ric Flair are just doing lines of coke with a bunch of strippers in my living room? I mean, what's it to say? I'm like. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, right. good deal. We'll, we'll get this bourbon trip together, and then do we'll it. do a little little bourbon podcast. We'll get into some more stories once we're all a little uh, inebriated, and <laughs> go from there. I guess. All right, folks. So now that our uh, Christmas and New Year break is over, hopefully we'll, we'll start uh, whipping these out a little more. I probably shouldn't have put it that way. No, it's really weird. Yeah, that is kind of creepy. But you know what? If it's you, nobody will see it. Yeah, it's good. nobody does. Yeah, you're good. All right. Yep. So we'll short. See. We'll see you later. I look real good today. 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 Jumping out the mother Bentley. Rolling in a cast of new Balenci's. Yeah.